Sarah Reffitt was working as a waitress at a Hooters in the suburbs of Dallas. It's January 2021. A game had just wrapped. And somebody switched the TV above the bar to CNN. Sarah looks up. And there's Chris Cuomo talking about her dad. Guy Reffitt. He's now been charged with unlawful entry at the U.S. Capitol and obstruction of justice for threatening his own family. One week before, Sarah's dad, Guy Reffitt, had been arrested for participating in the Capitol riot on January 6th. It didn't take long for the FBI to find him. And then, there on the screen, was her 18-year-old brother, Jackson. I do love him, and I do care for him, but that doesn't ignore everything else he's said and done. Their younger sister, Peyton, was working at another restaurant nearby when her phone started buzzing. It was a text. Jackson's on CNN. And it might be my fault for talking to authorities, but I don't want to think that he's an adult and he made his own decisions. Sarah and Peyton's brother was telling the world, before he told them, that he had turned their father over to the FBI. This is not your fault. I'm talking to you because I'm impressed by what you did. More importantly, why you did it. Okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. Peyton ran out of work and into a parking garage nearby. And in the shock of it, I just called him and just, like, screaming at him. Like, what is this? What's going on? Like, why are you doing this? When Peyton got home, she could hear her mom sobbing in her bedroom. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Tuesday, September 26th. I'm Dan Rosenzweig-Ziff, and I'm a reporter at The Post. And for months, I've been talking to families like the Reffitts, families for whom January 6th was a breaking point. As law enforcement searched for participants in the attack on the Capitol, some Americans took it upon themselves to help. About 15% of the more than 1,100 people charged for actions on January 6th were turned in by family members, friends, or acquaintances. So the Reffitts are one of many families dealing with deep rifts over January 6th. But the Reffitts, unlike other families I talked to, think there's a possibility of repairing the damage. Or they're at least willing to try. Today on the show, we sit down with the Reffitt family, and listen to this process play out in real time as they try to put their family back together. One of the first family members I spent time with was Guy Reffitt's wife, Jackson's mom, Nicole. I met Nicole in D.C. at a vigil for people who were charged for actions on January 6th, people she calls political prisoners. I've given up a lot to do what I'm doing right now, and I prayed very hard on it. I mean, I spent all my life being so proud of being a wife and a mother. And now, even though my children are older, it, it, I guess it's just a different path than what I thought I was going to be on. And Nicole's husband, Guy, was convicted of a number of charges related to the insurrection. Interfering with police in a riot, armed trespassing, witness tampering. And Guy was eventually sentenced to seven years in prison. After that, Nicole went back to Texas, but she felt lost. 
and decided to move to the D.C. area to help other January 6th families who were going through the same thing. During the day, Nicole now goes to nearly every trial of January 6th defendants. Then at night, she's at the vigil outside the D.C. jail. They've been singing this every night for over two years. They'll flash the lights. The dancer. Over there. What's so As they sing the national anthem at the vigil, the people in jail flicker their lights. See them flash the lights? And then that's how we know they're listening. She told me she does all this because she wants to support other families like hers. Families of other January 6th defendants, so they don't feel so alone. I asked her if she would consider letting me sit in on a family conversation. Um, so would, would that be something you'd, you'd be willing to do also? Kind I of- can do. Just know that it is really hard for me because of, I don't want to hurt Jackson any more than he's already hurting. So how does Jackson feel? I told her that Jackson was open to it. And Nicole said she hoped sharing their story would help other families in similar situations. Yeah, because my, it's my family's not singular, but other people are very are, are very shy about talking about it too. We haven't been shy even from the beginning because that's we're not shy people. It's all hard though. Nicole said she'd ask her daughters how they felt about me joining the family as they tried to talk through this stuff. But as I was leaving the vigil, Nicole left me with a warning. Um, it's I'll tough start. stuff though, sweetie. I know. Okay. Are you sure y'all want to get into all that? That is exactly what we want to do. Okay. If you're, if you're willing to share, we, we really want to listen. All right. I am willing to share. It's just not easy. Absolutely. No, of course. I mean, this is family. This is not easy. Yeah. I love my babies. All right. Y'all be safe, okay? Okay. All right. We'll see you. Pretty soon, everyone in the family confirmed they'd be willing to talk. And I knew I wanted to write a story about what the family was going through. But I also thought there'd be power in hearing their voices firsthand. That's why I brought in my colleague, Eliza Dennis. She's a producer for Post Reports. When Dan told me about the Ruffits, I was really excited to meet them. Because as Nicole said, their family isn't singular. So many people are finding it difficult to navigate political divisions within their families, especially after the 2020 election. And I was curious how the Ruffits might come together after such a dramatic version of this pretty common story. Some Americans have decided that reconciliation is just too hard, but that's not the Reffitts. Being permanently estranged wasn't an option for them. That's because growing up, the Reffitts were really close. At one point, Guy worked as a consultant in the oil industry and moved his family to Malaysia. There, the kids learned to rely on each other. And the family has fond memories of those four years. But things got complicated when they moved back to the U.S., The mom, Nicole, was always the most outspoken politically of the bunch. That is, until Trump started running for office, and Guy fell hard. Tensions in the family quickly escalated during the pandemic. Both Guy and his son Jackson were spending just a lot of time online, immersing themselves in different worlds. So before the pandemic, Guy had lost his job. And once the pandemic hit and everyone was spending more time inside, he began moving more to the right. He was drawn to this idea that the country needed stronger borders and better policing. 
On the other hand, Jackson was moving to the left, motivated by the killing of George Floyd and the nationwide protests that followed. Jackson's mom, Nicole, told me she got more and more worried about Guy and Jackson's relationship during the pandemic. Even though Nicole's more aligned politically with Guy than Jackson, she says it wasn't really the politics that fueled these fights. It was their personalities. They're both very arrogant. That's why they butt heads. Jackson's very sensitive and Guy is very gruff. But you can't tell them apart when, it, when they open their mouths. Except, of course, for what they're actually saying, their politics. Guy and Jackson argued about Trump, about Black Lives Matter, COVID restrictions, you name it. The arguments got more intense when Guy got involved with the Texas Three Percenters. They're a right-wing anti-government movement. Then Joe Biden won the 2020 election, and Guy, like a lot of Trump supporters, felt that the election was rigged. On Christmas Eve, Guy texted the family group chat. He said, quote, Too many lines have been crossed. Too many years this happened. We are about to rise up the way the Constitution was written. And that's when Jackson would open a web browser and search how to give a tip to the FBI. Jackson wouldn't hear from the FBI until January 6th, the day his dad joined a mob that stormed the Capitol. When Guy got back from D.C., he bragged to his family about his involvement. And Jackson secretly recorded it. I didn't even actually mean to be the first guy up there. I didn't even mean to do that. I just, the adrenaline and knowing that I can't let my country fall, the adrenaline just kicked in and I just rushed through the crowd. And I came here for a reason. I didn't drive 20 hours to, not, to come here and not do what needs to be done. The bad people in that building, they're the bad people. Jackson recorded his interactions with Guy because he thought they might help the investigation. Yeah. No, I said I didn't break any laws. I, I'd like to tell you, I mean, I'm asking you, where's your lawyer experience to tell me what law I broke? Tell me the law I broke. You carried a weapon onto federal grounds. Okay. Okay. Which, That's, part, which part of that is breaking the law? You, you just said that you brought a weapon on there. I did. I did bring a weapon on property that we own. Federal grounds are not. The law is written, but it doesn't mean it's right law. So you know the rest. Guy was arrested 10 days after January 6th, and then Jackson went on CNN a week later. And Jackson's older sister, Sarah, remembers the public reacting positively to the CNN segment. Jackson was being called, like, an American hero, and, like, he had just done this, like, miraculous thing, and I've just told him before, like, you're not a hero. Like, you were not a hero. Like, what, what you're doing to us is, is not heroic. Jackson's family was furious. I couldn't even really talk to my family about any of it. And I had to leave. Jackson left the Reffitt house the day of the CNN interview. He never moved back in. He started having much less contact with his family after that. As soon as I moved out, I, mean, I pretty much told my family, you know, we're going to need space. That space would last for months. There were moments the family was there for each other, like when Jackson's girlfriend's dad died in a motorcycle accident. 
Jackson called Nicole crying, and Nicole came over with a bucket of fried chicken, gave him a hug, and told Jackson she would be there when he needed to talk. It was such a good moment to leave off on. And, you know, it, things got a little better between then. A little better. <laughs> but the rest of the time, the Reffitt's conversations would end in shouting or disappointment. There were just too many hard feelings, and each family member had moments where they just needed a break. But in March of 2022, the Reffitts were thrown together again. This time for Guy's trial at a federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. Jackson testified at the trial, and Sarah remembers trying to find her mom before his testimony, but accidentally seeing Jackson in the hallway. They hugged, but she said she was crying so much all she could say was his name. Jackson remembers this, too. We hug. You know, it's the greatest hug ever. I haven't seen Sarah in forever. She's skinnier. Jackson takes the stand to testify, and he spots his mom, Nicole. And I'm wearing this nice suit because, you know, I'm testifying and I don't know how to dress. My mom says, you look nice, (laughs) you know, out of, like, mouths it to me. A few months later, Guy was sentenced to seven years in prison. Nicole let loose outside the courthouse. So wake up, America. This isn't just about Guy Wesley Reffitt. This isn't about just one six. This is about our liberties being stomped on. All I can say, is that y'all can all go to hell and I'm going back to Texas. Amen. Her daughters, Sarah and Peyton, were standing behind her and soon found themselves speaking to reporters. To mark my dad as this horrible person, And then having him prosecuted like this when somebody is maybe even able to get elected again um, doesn't seem right to me. Trump deserves life in prison if my father's in prison for this long. The Reffitt family has been dealing with reporters and public interest in their family for a long time now. As Nicole said, they aren't shy people, but that doesn't mean it hasn't had an impact because it feels like they are constantly being judged. For example, Nicole told me something I think she tells a lot of people. She said people think I raised an anarchist and married a terrorist. But even after everything they've been through, the Reffitts were desperate to be a family again and agreed to let us join as they tried to reconcile. That's how we found ourselves in Texas this past May. Good morning. It is bright and early, 5.59 a.m., The sun is not yet up in Plano. Almost every Thursday, Sarah and Peyton visit Guy at the Fannin County Jail in Bonham, Texas. I asked to join. The sisters told me they usually hit the road around 6 a.m. sharp. But 15 minutes later, I was still waiting. And I was quite groggy. Oh, there's two bunnies. There's three bunnies. Oh, my goodness. At least three bunnies in this grassy area between the apartment complex and the mall parking lot. It's just a feast for the bunnies. But the Reffitts soon picked me up outside Sarah's building, and we started the hour-long journey to visit their dad in jail. It's a drive Sarah and Peyton are very familiar with. The same, by the way, we're going past a, what's it called, landfill. This is the greatest part about our trip. What, um, what is this? It's a, a landfill, like a trash. They burn all the trash. Mm. I'm just letting they you know. Smell. It smells awful. <laughs> yes, it does. And I just can't. I'm just letting you know, you know. <laughs> um, it's usually just Sarah and Peyton in the car, but this week, their mom was in town from D.C. Well, how are you feeling? Mm, I don't like seeing Guy 
in that environment. I'm happy to see his face, but I don't, I don't like to see it. He, no, he doesn't complain to me and <laughs> that was really kind of sweet that he didn't want me to think about it. Guy is more than two years into a seven-year sentence. He's been in multiple facilities, and while this one is closer to Plano, where Sarah and Peyton live, when they visit, he's behind glass. He only gets two visitors at a time, so I didn't get to speak with Guy during this trip. Peyton and I waited in the car, while Sarah and Nicole went in to talk to Guy. How is is seeing him, how's conversation? What did you guys talk about? We talked about Trump's town hall. We talked about how pretty he thought I was. Um, (laughs) We piled back into the car and drove an hour back to Plano. Two hours round trip for just 20 minutes with Guy. And you, well, A, you gotta have a sense of humor about all this or what are you gonna do? Um, They even came out with a, like a Where's Waldo of January 6th with like the first hundred arrests. And so of course Guy's on there. And uh, he's, he's running with his gun in his hand. And on his shirt, it says, number one dad. So there's humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll show you. We, we find the humor in everything. Finding humor in everything seems to be a family trait. The morning of the Ruffett's big conversation, Jackson was also trying to keep it light. Sorry, I keep touching myself. I, oh, move, I move my hands a lot, so, you know, whoosh. Jackson is sitting cross-legged, yet he's anything but still. He's an animated talker and tends to slap his thighs and rub his hands together when thinking. I'm just going to sit here and do this the whole time. (laughs) We're on this massive leather couch at his girlfriend's mom's house, checking in on Jackson, because in about four hours, he's going to see his mom and sisters for the first time in months. I know this is not necessarily easy to talk about, alone two complete strangers, so... Just to start, how are you feeling about, you know, seeing your mom and your sisters, everyone all at once? Uh, I mean, I am terrified, but, you know, I'm really excited. I got no sleep last night. 20 minutes away, Nicole and her daughters were getting ready for Jackson to meet them at Sarah's apartment building, where Peyton was also living at the time. I went over early to see how they were feeling. It took us a while to find a quiet spot in the common area of Sarah's building, away from her apartment with her dog, two cats, six kittens, and a chameleon. But once we were settled, I wanted to know, why were they all here today? But when I asked Peyton, she gets overwhelmed. Honestly, I don't know if I can do this whole thing. Honestly. I don't think I'm going to be able to. Okay, well, sweetie. Do you want to just be present while we have the conversation? Yeah, I'll just step away for a second and come back. Okay. Sorry. I'm really sorry. It's not your fault. Peyton was just 16 on January 6th, 2021. And early on, she and her sister Sarah were pretty outspoken about their views. They love their dad and they love their brother, even though they were angry with him. But they're also furious with Trump. And this confusing mix of feelings, personal and political, has made them a target for both the right and the left. 
Some people told them they were defending a terrorist. Others threatened to kill their brother. Then there were the sexual assault threats. Uh, yeah, I know that part was uncomfortable because it was like people telling mom what they do to me and Peyton. Me and Peyton would just see like, these girls are so stupid, but at least they can start an OnlyFans. And that was like a bunch of messages. This is all coming from Sarah, now 26, who was helping me make sense of Peyton's reaction. She told me that Peyton really wants to set the record straight because she's felt like her comments to reporters and her social media posts were misunderstood by the general public. But speaking up is hard after everything she's been through. And then now she is, and I think she just wants to be able to, like, talk, but she just can't. She's written down what she wants to say. She, does, she has a hard time vocalizing it. On top of all this negative attention online, the Reffitt sisters were in many ways caught in the middle of their family's fallout. What me and Peyton talk about is like, um, we're not here because of our actions. We're one of the only people that aren't here because of our actions. Before and after January 6th. You seem to be the mediator, is that right? I, yeah, Peyton's really good too without any um, microphones. Dan let me know that he and Jackson were on their way over, and Nicole and Sarah took a moment to collect themselves upstairs in Sarah's apartment. They were getting ready to talk about anything Jackson might bring to the table. Because there were so many misunderstandings throughout the years, they knew there was a lot to clear up, and they were really hoping to do it without being reactive or defensive. They also wanted to check in on Peyton and see if she would be joining us for the conversation or sitting this one out. While they were upstairs, I went downstairs to intercept Dan and Jackson outside the building. But just before they got there, Nicole and Peyton joined me to welcome Jackson, who had never been to Sarah's apartment. Jackson reacted as soon as he spotted his mom and sister. Oh my God, this is so weird. Hi, Peyton, I'm Dan. Hi. Hi, (laughs) Everyone is hugging and smiling outside, but then we all walk into the lobby, and it starts to feel more awkward. We're all just standing in a circle, waiting for Sarah to come downstairs. That is until Nicole breaks the ice. What is that? Why are you growing that mustache? Do you not like it? I, I have to say a big no. Hey, Peyton likes it. I, I, You'll get used to it. I don't know that I will. It was way better than the beard. <laughs> Finally, Sarah comes down. Oh my gosh, her mustache goes. Why do you all hate the mustache? No, I'm into it. <laughs> I'm into I mean, it, it looks good. It Definitely looks good. don't Does support it. it. In that moment, I remember thinking I had no idea what was going to happen in this conversation. In many ways, the Reffids seemed like any other family, joking with each other, catching up after time apart. But they would soon have to deal with why they were there, all of the things that led to that time apart, and whether they could move past it. After the break, we hear the Reffids' conversation. And we hear from the man at the center of all of this, Guy Reffitt. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. 
He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Rosen, host of Radio Atlantic. Wait, really? Every week, we talk to Atlantic writers or other creative thinkers, and we take one idea and we road test it. Maybe what I'm asking is, is the problem them or us? Sometimes I change my mind about things. That's such a good point. I never thought of that. Maybe you will, too. Or at least you might see something differently. Ooh, that's fabulous. Radio Atlantic. New episodes every Thursday. Well, thank you guys for, for taking the time for this. I know this is letting us into a really intimate part of your life. We decided before coming to Texas that Dan should start, but that we'd really like the family to be the ones driving this conversation. And what we got was a nearly five-hour, wide-ranging, sometimes confusing discussion about what happened to the Refits and how they all have been feeling in the two and a half years since their dad joined the violent mob that stormed the Capitol. What you're about to hear are moments the family either butted heads or came together. Moments that we thought showed the resilience of this family in the aftermath of this really public and disorienting rift. So we'll start where the Refits started with topics they were all hoping to avoid. So me and Peyton went over what we don't want to talk about. And I think Peyton kind of spoke for Alia, but you're all cool with anything that comes to mind. Because I've already um, told Peyton, I don't know if she's told you, I assume she has. Ahead of this meetup, there'd been a lot of side texting about what was on and off limits. But three minutes into the conversation, there's already disagreement. I, I, say that I think that's very influential in, in what happened. I wasn't though. there for that. Not for me. Nicole said she would talk about anything, but the sisters thought that some of the issues Jackson might want to dig into were better discussed in private. Like Nicole's sedative use after Guy was arrested. Or the distant memory of Guy firing a gun next to Nicole, which Guy has said he fired at the ground. They ultimately decided that for today, it was better to talk about recent history, how the events of January 6th split apart their family, and what they want moving forward. Peyton thumbs through her notebook filled with pages and pages of statements she prepared for today's conversation and begins to read. Um, I'm hoping that we can put a lot of this situation behind us, conclude our thoughts about it, and move on to building a better relationship with each other. Since we have been so detrimentally affected and stained by how things unfolded, it has been very hard for each of us to know how to move towards a new healthy family, family dynamic. Oh, sorry, I cannot... Hey, babe, don't take a breath. Like, you don't, like, really don't. Don't speed run it. It's just anxiety. You're okay. Okay, move on. All right, we can finish it. And Jax, what do you want to get out of this? Um, I mean, we are going to get through this. It's going to take some time. It's going to suck. And I think once we're all just honest and open, as long as it's out here, we can really get past it. Because if we don't acknowledge it, then we're never going to get through it. And Peyton had a lot she wanted to acknowledge, most of all her politics. She wanted the world to know that just because she left her dad, that didn't mean she agreed with his actions on January 6th. Well, I am very liberal, but mm -hmm. with dad and everything, especially since it's so personal to me, because he's my father and I care so much about him as a person, was able to look over his politics. Then Sarah and Jackson share how they feel politically and how they deal with people who disagree with them. 
Sarah, like Peyton and Jackson, said she leans to the left. But when asked about her politics, she usually says she's a centrist or doesn't have political beliefs at all. Now people will ask me, like, do you have any political beliefs? I say no. Mm -hmm. I say that because I don't know what they are and I don't care. Um, and I feel like me saying centrist will give everyone a feeling of like, oh, I can talk to her, we can do this. Like, I like that. I, I just, think you're just playing it safe. <laughs> I think well, you're just, just a nice say, person. Just, yeah, I just say centrist. Cause, <laughs> I like, think you're I, just a normal human about politics. Also, I feel like they weren't saying any names, but it really seemed like they were talking about how each of them has chosen to interact with their parents, who are decidedly on the right. Like, uh, when I view a, a centrist, I view uh, someone who looks to justify parts of both sides and I think it's not helpful. I just think it means you're spineless. I think it means you're spineless. But that's just me being a jerk and not knowing what another word to say. I, uh, yeah, I'm on the pink dot. <laughs> uh, give me a second. To, oh, okay. Um, okay. Like. While all of this is going on, Nicole's kind of just sitting back. She had these Altoids that she was just compulsively eating. And I, for one, was really curious what she was thinking. Well, ask me something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I Ask, you something. Ask me something. Mom's like, what I'm ready. Well, I, after hearing you all talk, I'm curious do politics matter to reconciliation in this family? Not for me. Not for me. Not for me. No. Because we won't reconcile if it's about politics. It's dangerous. Jackson was the only one to hesitate. I don't villainize anyone. I do think Dad could have done damage, and he was planning to. No, he wasn't. Rhetoric and intentions are very different. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I don't think that you can choose to take your father literally when it suits you. You know, that's just my opinion about it. I don't think you can pick and choose. Oh, yes, he for sure meant this, but oh, no, he didn't mean this. Um, In the last couple of years, Nicole has been present at a lot of January 6th trials, offering her support to other families. And it felt like she had picked up a thing or two from watching the attorneys argue their cases. Rhetoric is rhetoric. You can't pick and choose. Actions are actions. Dad went to the Capitol with a gun, with an AR, with a buddy, with three percent. He didn't go to the Capitol with an AR. Okay, he went to D.C. No, he didn't go to D.C. He went to Virginia. Guns are legal. I'm so glad. I, I, I had no idea. I really didn't. Mm -hmm, because that, the FBI didn't tell you that part? See, why are you saying that? Uh, probably because I have a bitter taste in my mouth, honestly, for the government. I know. So, And that's when, why you justify actions like Dad and everyone. I did, I, actually, Jackson, you're very wrong. I didn't, I'm not justifying uh, did he have a gun violent on him? assault. I'm not, absolutely. Did he have a gun on him? I'm not, I, actually, he's never told me yes or no. It's probably worth taking a minute here to clarify the facts. Guy, who pleaded not guilty at his trial, was convicted of obstruction of an official proceeding interfering with police in a riot, transporting a firearm for that purpose, and armed trespassing. According to court testimony, Guy used a megaphone to encourage people to push through the barricades, which prosecutors said helped the mob overrun the police lines. He was not seen entering the Capitol building or assaulting officers, but prosecutors said he lit the match that started the fire. Guy was also convicted of tampering with witnesses for an alleged threat he made days after the attack on the Capitol. 
It's a quote that came to characterize Guy's case. Peyton and Jackson say Guy told them, if you turn me in, you're a traitor. And you know what happens to traitors. Traitors get shot. Guy would later tell me he neither confirms nor denies saying this. I'm just curious, like, what do y'all feel like dad did? What do y'all think his crime is? So, I mean, I would rope in conspiracy myself just because of the planning that went into it. Yeah, I think he broke the law and should be held accountable as he is. And I think Jan 6 in general is just, like, was an atrocity. That's just how I personally view it. Um, I mean, no, I mean, my dad did things wrong that day. Uh, He broke the law. I'm not defending that. But also, like, for what happened on January 6th, he didn't go in. He didn't cause actual harm to anybody. And that was one of the things that kind of got me was like, he got sentenced more than people who hurt people or went in. It it is shocking to know that all those people were there and then someone could make a speech. And then having my dad be held more accountable than he was, even though it's the president of the United States telling people to do something, uh, was shocking to me. And it was shocking the entire time, it's shocking now. Back in May, when the Reffits were having this conversation, Trump hadn't yet been indicted for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And the Reffitt children all agreed that Trump deserved to be held accountable for his actions on January 6th. I mean, he ruined our lives. He ruined hundreds no, of I mean, other... Yeah, I, really he, hate, he ruined I don't like him at all. And like I also feel thousands. like he had nothing to say after Dad was arrested about January 6th people. Trump did nothing for those people, and nothing happened to him. That's what's so upsetting. And them arguing that... This was a moment of agreement, and it gave space for Sarah to explain why her father meant so much to her. Sarah is Nicole's child from a previous relationship, but Guy had adopted her. One of my happiest days was getting adopted by him. I remember we were really scared one time, driving in Colorado on the mountains and he stopped a car and he told me like my whole life is in this car it was like the past but he just said his whole life is in this car and he would never let anything happen to us and I felt so much better I know everything he's ever done is because he wanted to help us even if I don't agree with it and even if I think it could be wrong it was because he wanted to help his family. Everything just wanted to help his family. And it just makes me so sick. And I, I will never look past that. I can't be cold enough to just say, well, he did the wrong thing, so he's cut off. You know, I, I would never do that. Nicole opened up about her regrets about not intervening sooner. During the pandemic, she says she saw her family was struggling. I did see there was times when all the regulations had started where I felt like that the kids were pitted against me. They felt like I was endangering people, uh, that I wasn't conforming. Um, they And then when Guy was kind of coming towards my side on that, uh, it, it was a very big point of contention, and I, and I kind of think that that is where more of a divide began. Yeah, I didn't, I just haven't ever felt the way you felt 
I also I like feel to say very differently. You're doing a really good job Sorry. talking and being a vulnerable mom. I think yeah. you're, you're really being so sensitive and like everything you're saying, like, I just, I really love you so much. Oh, I love you guys so <laughs> And even much. though like we don't agree with you, I just love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I love you too. That's the whole point. We don't have to agree. I'm interested in the way you formulated that because you, you kind of said it in a way and I, I'm, I don't mean to assume anything. So please tell me if I'm wrong. You seem like you kind of blame yourself. I do. Okay. I was scared to talk to you guys. I hurt y'all, hurt everyone here uh, so much. I did. I agree you did, but your dad did too. Yes. I did too. Um, <laughs> um, obviously I, you know, put y'all through a lot. So did dad, so did mom sometimes. Um, uh, and you know, to be honest, y'all handled it um, way too well. Um, I'm not even kidding. Too well. Literally You're too well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, I'm really sorry. And there's nothing I can fix those two years in between. I can only fix it now. Um, I think if we can get, if we can work through the hurt feelings <laughs> and get through it with each other, that's that's the only way to the other end. Yeah. And I appreciate what you just said, Jackson. And I think it's a, a great start. And uh, I, I love you guys. And I and I think that we're going places. Okay, let's wrap it up. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's over. We're just getting started. <laughs> and they were just getting started. Nicole began talking about how she felt in the weeks after Guy was arrested. It was hard to wrap your brain around everything that was going on. Uh, you know, it, all of it was so... Uh, shocking uh, from January 6th on, you know, and I think that afterwards what the girls, uh, they saw me in all kinds of different ups and downs and they were there for me. Uh, Guy wasn't and Jackson wasn't able, neither one of them were able to be there and we were in such a, we were shocked with everything. So there was a lot of grieving and there was a lot of pulling it together. But I felt like in the days afterwards and something Jackson wouldn't be able to see from that perspective is how I had to rally because there were moments where I was paralyzed and I couldn't even move. And I had to really suck it up uh, because the girls needed to see uh, someone that could move forward no matter what was happening because my rock was gone and I couldn't fall apart for them it, it, all the way apart. I'm, I'm just really proud of the way that the girls strengthened me during that time to see through that cloud I was in. Um, because I didn't know how to cope. But even as Peyton and Sarah were trying to be there for their mom, they were struggling with a lot of anxiety themselves. And sometimes the memories of all this negativity and grief, as well as the pressure she puts on herself to always be there for Peyton, it just gets to be too much for Sarah. I'll, I'll be fine for month, two months, until finally I would be like screaming and kicking and just like freaking out because I don't have my brother, I don't have my dad. 
and this whole thing is just like warped and and mom's far away and then Peyton I feel like you know just like has all these like problems that I can't fix. I just want to be able to help you more than I, and this should never happen to you. That's all I'm like, the thing I'm so upset about. Yeah, me. It, it traumatized me. And the house definitely. The house traumatized me because of the amount of sobbing. Just, that's it. Just crying. Like it actually makes me like, it's so hard to sleep at night thinking about like mom crying like that and Peyton crying and like, that's just like not knowing why this is happening. Throughout the conversation, there were a lot of moments like this one. Moments where one family member opened up about how difficult it had been to process their dramatic family fallout and strained relationships since January 6th. The Reffits hashed out everything from hurtful social media posts after Jackson went on CNN to painful memories from before January 6th. And hearing everything they had all been through, Dan asked the question that was on my mind too. Is there a limit to reconciliation? With both for this family and also for the country. In my opinion, what yes. our family has has gone through, I don't think there is, I don't think at this point there is not anything that we've gone through that we can't try to sort. Um, I, I think that agreeing to disagree is just fine. I, th I think we discussed it. I can, I can take a side on ideology, but I'm not going to take a side on on my family because that, that is bigger to me than, than our beliefs. But I, I know that if we can't try to get to a, a, an understanding of that, I don't know where we're going anywhere as, as humanity. You know, I mean, because if I can't figure out how to get along with my children— that I gave birth to and that I created this life with, then, I mean, where are we going? The Reffits talked for almost five hours. And around 8 p.m., they decided they wanted to wrap it up. Dan and I leave to give the Reffits some space because it felt like they were really enjoying each other. But even after they had talked through so much, Eliza and I couldn't ignore the elephant in the room. This attempt at reconciliation it was all happening without the person who arguably caused this rift in the first place. Hello, this is a collect call from... It's me, honey. An incarcerated individual at Bannon County Jail. Guy Reffitt. A lot to talk about. It's been a very <laughs> eventful situation, I would say. Maybe we can just start with January 6th uh, and how you see your role that day and what happened that day. Um, you just talk me through that a little bit? Uh, you know, I don't see that as there was a role. Uh, there was a rally. There was a lot of hyperbole, a lot of talk, uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of confusion. But that's about all there was about that day. Do you regret going on January 6th? I do not. I hate what's happening to my family, and I hate what's happening to me. But I don't regret it. Why would I regret going to January 6th? I was going for a rally and going to walk down to the Capitol and protest. Isn't that what everybody should do? Isn't that what everybody's right to do is? How do you view Jackson's decision to, to report you to the FBI? It still shocks me 
because I'm confused. Even to this day, I still don't understand his his thought processes. This is not the boy that I remember. I, you know, was I, we were always really close. So I don't know. Other than the political spectrum that had come about throughout the uh, run-up to the election, uh, he was coming of age at 18 years old, and I believe that at 18 years of age, a boy tends to get a little bit of his own rights and his angers and frustrations, and that's kind of how I look at it. Do you do you forgive him? I do, because, like I said, he was a he's a strong-willed man. He's a man now. I raised a man who thinks very clearly for himself, regardless of whether I agree with his his uh, goals or his means to which. I'm still proud of how strong he is for them, regardless of my disagreement with it. That's not really the point, is it? A proud father doesn't become proud unless he's just proud of how strong his children are. I raised good, strong children. My wife and I have been, well, I say my wife really. I worked a lot. My wife raised some really strong children. She's the most important part of our family. How how do you think your participation in January 6th and your incarceration and everything that's happened since has affected your family? This situation has extremely affected them. I can do time. I'm a grown man. I'm a strong person. I've lived a hard life. But what happened to my, what's happened from the beginning to the day until the very end of this is it's destroyed me. It's it's hard. I love my kids and my wife so much. And to sit here and have to realize that all of this has affected them so much, it's just extremely difficult. What kind of relationship do you want with Jackson when you get out? I want to go back to where we were. I'd rather just get on. I'm not a person who looks back. I'm a person who likes to look forward. I'm a forward-looking person because you can't live in the past. Living in the past hurts the future. And I want my kids, my girls, and my wife to do the same with Jack, but I also want everybody to look towards what we can do in the future to try to recoup our life back from this time that we're losing right now because we're losing a lot of time. But it's it's very unfortunate, and that is on me. That's my fault. I wanted to go to January sixth, and all of this happened because of that decision. Do I regret that decision? I regret what what is happening in my family because of that decision. But I regret what's happened to my family. I don't like what's happened in my family, and I really hate that part. And I can't change that. So not looking in the past of something I can't change, but looking into the future about what I can do to fix this in the future. That's what I like to look at. Mm-hmm. Just before it gets cut off, will you, you're yeah. able to call back uh, after this? Yeah, I'll call you right back. Okay. <laughs> a little bit of a cliffhanger. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. Be eagerly, eagerly up, awaiting. <laughs> Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. I talked to Guy about six times. We had 15 minutes per call, but he didn't elaborate more on his future relationship with Jackson. Guy has roughly five years left of his sentence. During the conversation with his mom and sisters, Jackson was kind of hesitant to discuss what would happen when his dad got out. So it is pretty clear he's nervous. While his mom and his sisters really can't wait. It's another moment where the refits may have to agree to disagree. Sure, good. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. 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 How are you? Good. Can I get you a major? Water uh, with the water. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, After leaving Sarah's building, Eliza and I ended up at a Tex-Mex restaurant nearby. And by complete coincidence, the refits were there too. All four of them. And we walk in and um, sitting like two tables behind us are the, the refit family. They look like they're smiling. Um, so facing towards us is it's Peyton and Jackson on one side of the booth, and then um, Sarah and Nicole on the other side of the booth. The Reffitts didn't see us until they were heading out of the restaurant. But before we were spotted, we saw Jackson get ready to leave a little early. When he got up from the booth, Nicole popped right up to and gave him a big hug. They didn't know when they would see each other next. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, Eliza Dennis. It was reported by Dan Rosenzweig-Ziff with help from me and Alice Kreitz. It was edited by Maggie Penman and mixed by Sean Carter. Special thanks to Robin Amer, Renita Jablonski, Herman Wong, Allison Michaels, Monica Campbell, Ariel Plotnick, Tim Elfrink, Derek Hawkins, Lynn Bowie, Spencer Shu, and Jenna Johnson. If you know someone who the story might resonate with, please share it with them. I'm Dan Rosenzweig-Ziff. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.